Hey, listeners, welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. Oh my goodness, have I told you lately how much I love this podcast and all the great conversations we're having. You know, on this show, we recognize that we are all humans at work. And we talk about all that comes along with that. And my conversation today represents the spirit of the show so well. So it's so energizing. Our guest thinks about reframing our relationship, and we're going to dive in to what that means, our relationship to work, as a tour of duty. And at the end of the tour, you ask yourself, do I want another tour or have I learned all I can? Alana Fallis is the Director of People Operations at Quantum Metric, such an incredible company. If you don't know Quantum Metric, check them out. What you really need to know about Alana is how she's embracing our changing relationship with our jobs and how that plays out for her as an HR leader in a fast growth company focused on getting and keeping great talent. Listen in as we talk about career ambiguity, the changing workforce needs, individual career journeys, and what all of this means for HR and talent leaders. Check it out. It's funny to think about what we're going to talk about today in terms of our changing relationship to work, because I myself have gone through many evolving and changing career journeys, shall I say. And so I got my start actually as an actor. It was my lifelong passion. I started at five years old. I did it all through middle school and high school. And I ended up going to a theater conservatory, like a very serious theater conservatory where there was 10 of us. And we only did acting and voice work and movement. And there was no business skills and there was no math courses. It was all in the realm of this kind of character and personal development work. So when I graduated and I moved to New York City, I found myself in a life where I was juggling three jobs, doing a bunch of different things. I was tutoring. I was a nanny. I was working retail. I got into sales a little bit to support myself. And I started to really lose enchantment with the business of acting because the reality of it was such that I had to support myself in all these different ways. So I thought to myself, okay, I have to figure this out. And I really want to do something that still lights me up and brings me joy and is fulfilling. And I'm very much a creative spirit. I'm very much a... I like to connect and work with people. And so I found over time that the areas of my job where I leaned in And the things that attracted me in my day-to-day from all these different kind of odd and menial jobs that I had ultimately amounted to a pathway in HR. So I found myself doing some recruiting, for example, for the restaurants I was working at. I found myself doing like a small office manager job for a startup. So I knew for myself that, that I still wanted to do something that was creative and exciting and fun. And so I found myself in the startup world doing HR. And that's where I've been for about seven years now. And, and the part that I really feel it was within my wheelhouse is the piece on um, employee development and talent management and employee relationships, employee relations. And so those are the things that really make me feel, make me feel excited. And to me, ultimately, what I want to do is at a high level, help people find a way to improve their lives. And we spend so much of our life at work. And so that I think is the contribution I can make is improving our relationship to work. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting because you were, you said that in theater, it was all about character and personal development. And so isn't it interesting that that's where you find yourself now? Like that's your real passion. Sure. And acting is very much the study of human behavior and is very much the study of human behavior and of communication. And so when I thought about, oh goodness, what do I do? 
it took me a long time to view my life experience as transferable skills because I was really convinced <laughs> to start out, oh goodness, I have no transferable skills. But that really wasn't true. I had a, a lifetime of study in these different things. Such an important message. Yeah. Challenge that belief. I don't have transferable skills because if you have experiences, you have value to bring yeah. into other experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And I always coach people, something that I want to endeavor someday, but I'm not there yet, is is potentially career coaching for people like me who started from this creative background and, and have this yearning for purpose and have this yearning to fulfill potential in some way that isn't clear to them yet. But I do give my friends and my creative friends a lot of advice and do some kind of informal career coaching. And, and I always say, what you have to aim for is the intersection. People feel this really big impetus to solve for their entire career. And you don't need to do that. I couldn't do that, certainly. It's about taking steps towards the things that interest you and light you up and bring you energy. And for me, I think it's really important to target the things that you're good at, right? The things that you enjoy and then where there is opportunity. So skill, enjoyment, opportunity, and the intersection of those things is how to start. (laughs) That's so good. Well, and so much of the time, as we know, we get derailed by others' expectations or what our parents want us to do or... And I imagine for you, like that must have been a tricky thing to navigate as you were trying to figure out this theater world and what to do next. Oh, 100%. And I switched jobs a lot in the beginning of my career. And my parents were super scandalized that I would switch jobs every two years. They thought it was crazy. And <laughs> and so much of our relationship to work is, is, is informed by our surroundings. And my parents are boomers and they're the boomer generation and there was more scarcity and and the impetus was on stability. And so their vision of career was stay at one company and um, climb the corporate ladder ladder year after year and like, don't leave. And so I I remember telling my dad, you know, I'm getting all these messages on LinkedIn and I'm going to explore these other opportunities. And he was horrified. He was like, well, why would you do that? (laughs) You have a, why would you have a great job? (laughs) And of course, you know, no one should leave every individual scenario so specific, but it's, our relationship to work, I think, generationally has evolved so much over the last decade, couple decades. Well, and even that mindset that my it is a relationship with my job, right? It is something to nurture. It is something to be intentional about. It is something to be thoughtful about. And a big part of that, I believe, is this, just the integration of work and life and our needs as human beings shifting. Right. And how much has that relationship changed even in the last two years? Forget the last 10 years with the advent of the digital age and, you know, the advance of technology and all these different tech companies popping up. But, but especially over the last two years, as we've seen the world move into this new phase with the pandemic, our, for a lot of people ongoing, our homes, our, our offices, our, our lives. And so the best kind of jobs and the way that we should be thinking about retaining our top talent is integrating work and life in a way that is harmonious and collaborative and flexible. And that's why we hear so much about flexible work. But yeah, absolutely. I think the relationship between work and our lives, the lines the lines have become quite blurry, especially in the last recent years. Mm-hmm. And I know you have an interesting mindset when you think about the relationship with work. Yeah. Oh, we discussed this, that I didn't come up with this idea. It was a Harvard Business Review article back in 2013 that really spoke to me about your current job to think of it and reframe it like a tour of duty. And traditionally, kind of as I was saying with my parents' relationship to work, you would stay at one place, you'd climb the ladder and you'd commit for the long term. 
And in the best case scenario, you would still commit to company for a long term. But but the idea was that we should do away with this artifice that when we are a candidate is interviewing a company and vice versa, that it's a forever relationship and we're going to stick there together. It's more about what can we each get out of this working relationship? How can a company develop you and offer you career opportunity as you're assessing the opportunity? And how can you help the company grow? And so really the employment relationship is you should think of it within those terms as how can we help each other for this period of time that we are together? And then I think a good marker of time is two years in, you've ramped in, you really settled into your role. You look back and you reflect on all the things that you've learned and you think, okay, that was my tour of duty, my first tour of duty. Is there opportunity for me here to go on another tour of duty? Am I interested in that? Or have I learned all I can and do I want to move on to my next tour of duty? So this idea of of thinking it in finite chunks where we have an experience together and then we reassess it. Why the two years? Where does that come from? Yeah, the two years. Well, that's, and again, the Harvard Business Review wrote this article around the tour of duty and they said two years (laughs) too. And the reason I like that figure is because I think it gives you enough time to ramp into a role, to get good at something and to really get a sense of the landscape, to get a sense of the landscape. A year is too short. A lot of things can change in a year. You'll also have a sense of the atmosphere, how the company is trending, how the company is growing, if there is going to be opportunity for you in the future. So it's a marker where you've had enough time to ramp and hopefully get good at what you do and then take a real honest look at your surroundings. But again, it's not a suggestion that you must switch jobs every two years. It's more so that you think of it as this journey where you stop and take stock. Like that's your first milestone. That's your first marker along. That's the key, isn't it? Yeah, it's that thoughtfulness. It's I really love those questions. Like, do I want to do another tour or have I learned all I can? Because even regardless of the choice you make, spending time reflecting on that, it brings up all kinds of value and experiences maybe you hadn't thought of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the message too, is that you are in the driver's seat of your own career development and of your own, your individual career journey. And as employers and as leaders in organizations, the best thing that we can do for retention is to support our team members in their individual career journeys and know that everyone is on their journey. And do we have things in common to share for this? Do we have mutual interests for this period of time that we're in a working relationship together? And so, yeah, it really makes me think about retention in a different way. I mean, and, yeah. and so for so many organizations, you know, that is a key metric, isn't it? Is, yeah. are we keeping our best people? And yeah, but it flies in the face of really supporting individuals and their needs and their expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If we're holding on to someone that this is just not a good, this is not, their yeah. tour has come to an end. Yeah. And people really shy away from that conversation. And, and it, it really does fly in the face of what is traditional. And so I understand why it's a, a kind of new way of thinking about the employment relationship. But there are times we have all been there with either as a manager or just with colleagues that, goodness, the person isn't happy and it isn't working and they, or they don't have the right skill set or they're just not engaged for whatever reason. And so having a more open dialogue with our team members about when something isn't working and what it would take to work or whether it's a right fit is is a direction that I try to push my business leaders as well, because that's the best way to get the most out of our people. Yeah. Is that something that you have integrated into your work at Quantum? Yeah, for sure. We do have, and this doesn't work in every scenario, right? There's, if we have, if we're dealing with an issue of underperformance, it's a pretty straightforward way and progressive 
process for managing underperformance. But but sometimes at Quantum and, and even in previous roles, it's not necessarily an underperformance that we're getting at where someone isn't meeting their metrics. It's that it's behavioral and they are disengaged and they are sometimes really visibly unhappy. And I've had success empowering my managers to say, okay, well, before you try to treat this like a performance problem, before you try to treat this like a behavior problem, why don't you sit down with the employee and share with them what you've observed? Share with them what kind of behavior is embodying the disengagement. Connect with them and see if there's anything else going on in their lives and have an open and honest discussion of of where what you're observing is not meeting your expectations and then go from there. Oh my gosh, this is so good. I mean, think about the value of that. And for me, Alana, it keeps going back to just this mindset of work as a relationship. If we're thinking about the people that we're leading, that they are in relationship with their work, it naturally will drive honest conversations and hard conversations about the relationships are tricky, they're messy, they're awkward. And being willing to have those conversations, because think about what typically happens. Somebody starts underperforming or they're not feeling it and somebody gets shitty, there's tension, nothing gets said, and then just eventually they leave. And then we start the cycle all over again. Yeah. Oh, goodness. And and we've all been there. We've all been down that process. And as I say to my manager, because I, I do a lot of employee relations issues and coaching here, for the most part, an employee knows if something is not working for the most part. And they are also uncomfortable and they are also unhappy. <laughs> so this is about acknowledging it, acknowledging what is. Yes. Yeah. Like one of my favorite quotes, when you argue with reality, you will lose 100% of the time. And so of course everyone feels that. Just call it out, name yeah. it. Yeah, name it's it. It's not working. Yeah. It's not working. Let's talk through that. And I, in my experience, by the time this conversation is happening, most of the time in my experience, the employee will say, <sighs> yeah, you know what? I agree. And thank you. And even like, wow, this is refreshing. Yeah. yeah. And thank you. Cause I can feel the tension yeah. and it does not feel good yeah. to anyone. And it gives people the opportunity to leave on their own terms and to find something that is better suited to them. And you can work through a transition period that makes sense for both parties and, and get things out in the open. And I think that a lot of our jobs would be easier if we were able to get the difficult conversations out in the open. And so that's even training that we, enablement we do for our managers is around having difficult conversations, having them early, having them often. And everyone is better for it. Everyone is better. It's such a win-win for everyone involved. It's, and it's so common sense. It's why aren't we doing this? It's making me think like, <laughs> what went wrong? Yeah. I mean, I guess just viewing work as a transaction, viewing work as separate, right? I mean, it is, it's only like the relationship piece that's driving the change, the integration. What do you think? Like, why have we gotten this so wrong? Yeah. Oh, that is a great question. I wish I had a really straightforward answer. I think that there's a lot of generational changes that have emerged with the over time within the workforce as well. People have a different relationship to work now for a lot of reasons. Millennials, like my generation, we came from the the boomer generation, like I said, where stability was really valued and authority was really, I say authority is not respected the millennial generation, but much more of a deference to authority in the boomer generation. And now there's so information is at the tips of our fingers, opportunities at the tips of our fingers. There's new jobs that there weren't decades ago. So I'm not sure that I have an exact answer about where the culture in corporate America went wrong. (laughs) 
But I know that there's definitely a changing relationship to work. And another, we are going to be faced with a new generation as the majority of work in the next couple decades. Um, I think they said 30% of the workforce will be Gen Z by 2030, if I'm remembering that figure correctly. But but still, the millennial generation is the majority of the workforce now. And, and we know about the millennial generation that they are connected to purpose. They are connected to vision. They are connected to community. And so there's all these different factors about what resonates differently with each groups of people. So I know that was a kind of roundabout answer, but. <laughs> well, and they very much expect something from their work. We, um, our intern who we are just having so much fun learning from, she is such a dynamo, but she talks about work as a, just a chapter. She's like, my life is a novel and each of my jobs are a chapter. Yeah, yeah. There's this bigger picture view. It's not about any one thing. It's what can I learn from this to support the next? And Yeah, and isn't it the case that previously it felt that, and maybe in some cases is still the case, that work is such a significant part of our identity. And that has been the case for me as well, especially in the beginning of my career when acting and theater and being a creative person was so much of my identity. So if someone asked me to tell them about myself, so I would say I'm an actor, right? And so, and even for you, I'm not sure if someone asked you to tell, tell uh, them about yourself, what you say first, right? And so I'm not sure where the switch happened, but I'm, I'm seeing my perception is there's this kind of decoupling from work and personal identity. And I think it is embodied in sentiment like that. Now work is a chapter of my life and I'm okay with that disassociation and having an experience and then moving on to the next experience. And I wonder if Gen Z seeing their Gen X parents and the way in which we're working, it, you know, we're planning for, we do a 4th of July trip every year mm -hmm. with my family, same beach, 15 years in. So we've got yeah. like in a rhythm now when we were talking about just some plans and some things we were going to do. And my daughter just off the cuff made a comment about, well, Mom usually works a little bit in the morning, so maybe we should do that in the afternoon and just like didn't skip a beat. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's my like integration strategy. And I so enjoy that. I am not one. Yeah. I think unplugging looks different for everyone. And sure. I love to take just like an hour every morning to get caught up and check in with clients and team members. And, but that's what she's always seen me do. Right. And right, so she, right. she's, that's integration to her. And so that's a part of her experience. And she's going to bring that expectation into the workforce. Yeah. That's really interesting, right? That she commented on it. And I think it is true that integration and a positive experience looks different for everyone. And there's never going to be a, a complete consensus per demographic or generation or workforce about the right way to run things, but it's about the freedom of choice and it's about the flexibility to have a working relationship that works for you and works for your family life. Yeah. So I think the name of the game is flexibility, especially now, especially now. So this is where it's moving. It, I mean, it's almost like it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not, like it's happening, right? Yeah. Work is a relationship. <laughs> I would say so. The expectations of Gen Z. What advice do you give to other talent and HR leaders who are in a more traditional environment or even in a manufacturing or a production environment? where it is a lot more transactional? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think it's not about trying to overhaul your employee experience all at once. But I would say my number one piece of advice is to find ways to listen to your employees, whether that is engaging them in conversation whenever possible, whether that's identifying via stay interviews, you know, people who have been here for a long time and are critical talent, you don't want them to leave. If you don't want 
part of your talent to leave, you should definitely be engaging them in a conversation about their experience. And my company uses CultureAmp, which is an employee engagement tool to collect sentiment from our employees and to hear their feedback. And we present it to our senior leaders. So I think really listening and getting to know your workforce is the best way to make steps toward a harmonious working relationship. And again, it's not about big solving for major problems. It's about listening and taking small actionable steps. And really seeking to understand what are the expectations of our workforce? Because it's Mm -hmm. not going to be one size fits all. I think that's great. And that's such a controllable kind of thing. Like we can all lean in and listen to our workforce more. Yes, 100%. And I think it's going to be crucial in retaining our talent in the years to come. Yeah. What else do you think as you think about things we need to be intentional about, cognizant of? Yeah. I think we need to be cognizant of kind of to the beginning of our conversation, supporting our team members in their individual career journeys. And again, you're talking about a more traditional or say banking or the (laughs) banking environment or manufacturing environment. There's still opportunities to develop your people. And there's still ways to give them stretch assignments or to implement, oh goodness, performance reviews if you don't already have it. A culture of giving feedback to your team members if you don't already have it. So finding ways to empower and support your team members in their development is something that I think will never go away. And there's there's a wide spectrum of activities to be able to support those efforts. Mm-hmm. Well, and that goes back to listening, right? Because in order to do that, you have to know what it is that's important yeah, to them yeah. and what it is that yeah. they need. Absolutely, absolutely. I was gonna say something that we do here, our leaders do, our CFO specifically does a What I Wish I Learned session. And he just monthly organizes a little lunch, caps at about 10, 12 participants and goes through lessons he learned in his career and some of the learnings and takeaways. And there's, everyone wants to develop, everyone wants to learn more and hear from their leaders. And so I think any steps you can take in visibility and accessibility to your senior leaders in your organization, no matter what environment goes a long way in in helping employees feel connected. Well, and what a great way for him to show vulnerability as well. Because there's a humility in that, isn't there? Of like, here's yeah. here's what I'm learning. I'm learning right alongside you. Yeah, and that's changed. That was a big spark of informa- inspiration for me as a leader, that vulnerability. I said, wow, no one's perfect. We all have learning opportunities, but that visibility is so important. Yeah, and it gives team members permission every time he stands up and shares. It gives them permission to learn and and be human. And isn't that what all of this is, is just this recognition that we are all human beings at work. I mean, which is why we titled the podcast the way we did is is to just (laughs) highlight that. And your humanity is showing just like everyone else's. So letting your guard down and sharing ah, really just creates an environment of. Yeah, I think we're all passionate about building a better world. And if you are a leader in your organization, you can certainly start with the workplace and your relationship to your team members. We are all passionate about building a better world. Isn't that true? And believing that, I think it's so good to just remember like behind the stuff is a human being who wants to add value, who wants to make a difference. I mean, who wants to be seen those human characteristics that we all share. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so well, I've heard you, I mean, you, this has just been a reminder to, to like tap into that, lean into that, ask questions, elicit yeah. that what's happening with those, with those individuals. Yeah. Approach with empathy. Your intent should always be empathy and 
collaboration and the rest, I think, kind of reveals itself to you over time. Absolutely. Collaboration, empathy, compassion. I mean, all of those relational skills, since that's what it is. Well, you have reminded us that work is a relationship. And so being intentional about nurturing the relationship, leading the relationship, highlighting what's working and what's not in the relationship, all of those things that we do in the relationships that are successful, all of those things apply in the workplace. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Alana, thank you so much. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. Please do reach out to me on LinkedIn. Happy to make connections. Happy to chat. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 